All right. Um, so this is where we're headed today. I know that some of you have been here all three weeks. And so in, in that case, it's just going to be a review of weeks one through three. Um, some of you have missed one or two weeks. And so uh, that information is going to be new to you. And so we're going to do a quick review of weeks one through three. And then um, we're going to look at in depth, look at the Bible as a whole and some questions to ask um, to when you look at various passages. And finally, we are going to look at how to study narrative. And because narrative makes up almost 50% of the Bible. And so it is very important to um, know how to study narrative. And, and, um, and so we're going to look at, at some aspects of that. And so that's kind of where we're headed today. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to take the full hour. Uh, sometimes I do get long-winded, so um, we will see. All right, so a review of week one. Uh, we looked at exegesis versus eisegesis. And exegesis is drawing meaning out of the text, and eisegesis is reading meaning into the text. And so uh, one way that I personally remember the difference between the two terms is eisegesis is like I, myself. And so I'm reading meaning into the text versus uh, exegesis, which is drawing meaning out of the text. And so um, we always should be in pursuit of exegesis and try to avoid eisegesis. And so um, the danger with eisegesis is that when you are putting meaning into the text, you are going to ignore passages that doesn't say what you want it to say. And that becomes very dangerous. And so always be in the pursuit of exegesis, avoid eisegesis. And uh, with that, you need to read with humility and a readiness to obey. Um, humility because sometimes you're gonna come across passages that you do not like. And, um, and if you are reading from a lens of eisegesis and you come across those passages and you aren't humble about it, you're going to skip over it or disagree with it and um, like I said, that's a slippery slope and becomes really dangerous. And so you have to read with humility and a readiness to obey. Um, you have to pray. Whenever you read passages, pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal what it is that uh, the author was intending, God was intending, and so forth. And then you also have to recognize your assumptions. We all have assumptions when we read texts, whether it's... Um, you know, uh, the Bible or a different book or whatever, we all come to uh, life and approach life with assumptions. And we have all, I think everyone in here has, for the most part, grown up in the South or at least in the Western uh, view of Christianity. And so we're all approaching our, the Bible text from that view. And so we need to recognize that and realize that uh, sometimes those assumptions are wrong and um, and we need to be humble enough to realize that and and um, and go against our assumptions uh, let's see here week two we looked at um, we looked at kind of how the Bible is one continuous story from Genesis to revelation and we're going to kind of look into that deeper today uh, we said that there were three main literary styles in the Bible. Narrative, which makes up 46% of the Bible. Poetry, which makes up 33% of the Bible. 32, 33% of the Bible. And then prose discourse, which I think that's 26% of the Bible. The difference, um, as I told Bennett at lunch today, I'm really bad at math, even though according to my ethnicity, I should be really good at it. Um, and so, uh, so prose discourse makes up the rest of that. But um, the problem is, is that when we read the Bible, right, um, it would be really easy if, let's say, uh, Genesis was just narrative and then uh, Psalm was all poetry or and then um, you know, Acts was all pro, or not Acts, uh, Ephesians was all prose discourse. And, um, and that would be really easy. But the problem is, is that 
no book of the Bible is just one type of literary style. And so you have to discern what type of literary style you are reading because Genesis, it, it actually has all three narrative styles in there. And, um, and so, you know, it, it can go from narrative to poetry to prose discourse uh, within, you know, a verse. One verse could be one and then, you know, a few verses later it can switch to another. And so uh, you have to be uh, weary of and leery of what type of literary style you're reading because that's going to determine how you interpret that passage of scripture. And so pay attention to detail, investigate by asking questions and making observations. All right, last week, uh, this is the it for review. Last week, we looked at context and pretty much context is king. And so uh, we looked at the two different types of context, literary context and historical context. And literary context is really simple. Practically, um, just read the verses surrounding whatever verse you're reading. Right. We said that that um, if you didn't do literary context, someone could read, uh, I think it was uh, Psalm 14, 1, where it says there is no God. And you could read that and someone could make the argument that the Bible says there is no God. Well, that's not what the Bible is saying. If you read the verses or the verses around that or that verse, it says, um, you know, the something about the fool who says there is no God. And so uh, without context, you can really misinterpret the Bible. And this has been done for centuries, right? Uh, the same Bible has been used to uh, perpetuate slavery and, um, and hate and all these uh, horrible things because they find verses that support what it is they want to um, want to say without looking at the literary context. And so uh, look at the literary context, look at um, the verses around it, read the verses around it, and, um, and also look at the flow of thought from the author, right? Um, not just in the verses around it. If you read, uh, yes, read the chapter of the verse that you're looking at, but also look at the book as a whole and how it flows from uh, one topic to the next. And so the example I used was 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of people use that chapter as the, they consider that the love chapter of the Bible. And it is, it's a great um, description of what love is. But uh, when you look at the flow of thought of um, from chapter 12 through 13 through 14, then you see that that love is in the light of evangelism and uh, sharing the good news with others. And when you read it through that lens, 1 Corinthians 13 takes on a whole different uh, set of meanings. And so, um, and so look at the flow of thought of not just the chapter and the verses surrounding the verse you're reading, but the whole, whole book. And then uh, we're going to get into a little bit today, really the whole Bible and, and how it fits into the whole story of the Bible. Uh, and then we looked at historical context and how this is one of the more studious aspects of Bible study. And I know that, um, you know, it is often something that is overlooked and not really, sometimes it's not really that fun to do, right? Um, studying the culture and the people and the places because, you know, it's just, it seems like homework sometimes. And, um, but my experience has been that whenever I do study the historical context, the Bible is, um, the Bible becomes more alive to me. It no longer becomes just stories of um, almost like fairy tale stories, but it becomes uh, real life. And we have to remember that God's word was, um, the Bible was God's word to them, the people it was written for, before it was God's word to us. And so when we approach the Bible like it was written for us, we are going to misinterpret it. And so we have to understand the culture and the history and the geography of um, where it was written and who it was written to for us to gain a uh, 
complete picture of what that scripture is meaning. All right, that was a long review. Um, I like to do reviews because, uh, well, one, not everyone has been here every week, but two, I, I feel like um, repetition kind of helps you learn it better. And so I'm sure Logan uh, knows this stuff really well. I may get him to do the review next week. So, all right. Um, so moving on, we're going to look at questions to ask uh, when looking at the Bible as a whole. And so uh, really the Bible is one continuous story from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And so this is going to be more of your practical stuff to do when you're reading the Bible. And the first question um, when reading a verse or a passage of scripture is, what else does the Bible say about this? Right? Um, one thing that you can um, do, does anyone know what a concordance is? Yeah. Um, it is yeah. great. I have one in the office, um, and what you can do is you can find, look up any word in the Bible, and then see where else that word is mentioned in the Bible. And so, let's say you are looking up uh, faithfulness. You can look up faithfulness and um, see that it is mentioned in this place, this place, and this place. And um, then you can look at similar quotes or similar passages, and uh, and look at the parallel passages and see um, how they are similar and how they differ. And it gives you a more complete understanding of faithfulness or love or um, hope or joy or whatever it is you're, you are studying at that time. And so uh, a concordance is great for looking at quotes and similar passages and parallel passages, um, not just... Uh, so the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament a lot, but they sometimes the wording is slightly different. And so um, seeing where it is in the quote and then uh, seeing what was happening during the Old Testament and see how that shapes the interpretation of the New Testament passage. Does that make sense? And so let's say you're reading a passage in the New Testament. You see that it's a quote by looking at the footnotes. You look at the Old Testament passage, and then you study that passage, and, and it gives you a better understanding of the New Testament passage. And so look at quotes, look at similar passages, and look at parallel passages, um, passages that are, uh, aren't necessarily quotes, but talk about the same idea. All right, so that's the first practical thing you can do. Um, the second practical thing you can do is uh, look at how the two texts relate. Um, are the texts in harmony with each other or are they in tension with each other? Um, sometimes you are going to uh, come across passages that seem like they are in contradiction of each other, right? Um, Let's see here. Uh, try and think of a example um, in Proverbs. There is um, a uh, proverb that says, I forget where it's at. Don't, um, and I believe it's Proverbs. Don't quote me on this. If I get it wrong, don't like rub it in my face. Um, in Proverbs, there is a, uh, um, a passage that talks about uh, not, um, pretty much not like, uh, agreeing with a fool, um, because it just, you stoop down to their level. And then a few verses later, it says that you need to, um, address a fool because, uh, so that they don't continue to, um, think that they are wise. And those two passages, they're almost in contradiction to each other. One's like, well, you shouldn't address them. You shouldn't even engage with them. And then the other one is saying, yes, do engage with them uh, and let them know where they are wrong so that they don't continue um, acting that way. And so <laughs> is it? Is it, should I ignore them and not engage with a fool or should I correct them? Those two passages are in tension with each other. And the answer is, well, yes. Um, 
Yes to both. You have to, uh, those two passages aren't in conflict. It's just speaking to different situations. And so, um, so see if the passages are in harmony or intention of each other. And then a third question that you always need to ask is, how does this text point to Jesus? Right? The whole Bible is about Jesus. Um, I know a lot of people don't, uh, a lot of people think the Bible is just kind of a roadmap to life and how you should live your life. And yes, there are some great, um, uh, there's some great wisdom on, uh, on how you should live your life and so forth. But the Bible isn't about you. The Bible is about Jesus. And so um, with every passage you read, you need to ask that question. How does this text point to Jesus? Right? Um, how does it relate to Jesus as your savior? And how does it relate to Jesus as Lord? Um, even Old, past, Old Testament passages, right? Uh, how do those passages point to Jesus? Um, and so here are a couple of rules that um, I like to do. Uh, interpret unclear texts in light of clear ones. And so what I mean by that is that um, sometimes there are texts that are unclear to me and, uh, and the Holy Spirit isn't kind of um, revealing what it is that it's supposed to mean to me. And so, um, you know, I always go to similar passages or other passages that may be similar or around it that I can determine what it means and use those to help shape um, the unclear text until the Holy Spirit does reveal what it, what it means, right? Um, and then also don't ignore some texts to protect your beliefs or misinterpretations of others. And that is a big one. Uh, and I've talked about this in previous weeks, and I'm going to continue talking about this because this is something that is done all the time. Uh, people pick and choose from the Bible, and they ignore parts of the Bible that they don't like, right? I have been guilty of this. Um, I'm sure you guys have been guilty of this. Um, and it is dangerous to do that, right? Um, very dangerous to do that. Um, God has a greater wisdom than we do. I may think that God is being unwise and unjust in, in this passage of Bible, but that's how God is, right? Um, God's ways are wiser and better than my ways. And so uh, if I choose to ignore some texts just because I disagree with it, it goes against my morals, it goes against what I believe, it goes against uh, how I think God should be, uh, that becomes very dangerous. And so um, you can't ignore texts just because you disagree with it or it goes against your beliefs or um, or you've misinterpreted it, right? And so, um, so you can't ignore any part of the Bible, all right? Any questions about that, those questions? I was just going to read the verse about Proverbs um, answering the fool. Yeah, go for it. Um, so it's Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5 says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you become as foolish as they are. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Yeah. And so, um, once again, those two verses, they seem like they are in contradiction of each other. So which one is it, right? Uh, do we answer them and stoop down to their level or do we... Uh, um, correct them and so that they don't continue thinking they are wise in their own, own way. Um, and it is, um, it's really a case by case thing, right? You got to read the room, see, uh, see what is wiser in that situation. All right. I'm glad it was Proverbs and I wasn't, uh, um, I didn't misremember where that was. All right. Thanks. I agree that I agree that it's, it's case by case, but I think also an important tool for any any section of the Bible, not particularly those two verses, any place where you find a contradiction, 
is that a contra contradiction just means opposite meanings. I mean, like the, the, the words that are being said are opposite to each other, but that doesn't mean that they're not both true. The example that I always use is, the two examples I always use, first off, um, I'm a people person. I love being in crowds and I, I get energy off of other people's energy, but I also really value my alone time. Somebody interrupts my alone time, then I can get snappy sometimes. Or expressions, opposites attract versus birds of a feather flock together. They're both true, but they're opposites. So just because something's a contradiction doesn't mean that one of them is wrong or that somebody wrote it down wrong or that God changed his mind or that's, that's a pretty useful thing to recognize when you're studying the Bible where people say there are no contradictions. I found things that I think are contradictions. That doesn't mean that one of them's wrong or that you can't use one of them when you're in your Bible study or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Joseph. Um, and Matthew, what you said kind of reminded me of, um, of something else that, uh, so have you guys ever heard that, um, that saying, you know, if God can do anything, can he create a rock that he can't lift? Right. I'm sure in debates with um, non-Christians or uh, conversations with non-Christians, that question has probably come up. And, um, and, you know, the answer is, well, yes. Yes, he can create a uh, rock that he couldn't lift, but yes, he can still do everything. And, uh, and I know that that doesn't seem like it could be yes to both of those, but it is because um, God is a greater being than we are, right? And he's not, the, he's not confined to our, um, our way of logic. And so uh, something can be true to God in both ways and, uh, and still be truth. And so um, it, it's not a contradiction, like, like Matthew said, yes, both are true. And so, um, and so a lot of times we try to uh, pigeonhole God into our own human way of thinking and our own human logic when God is greater than all of that. All right. If there's no more comments or questions, we're going to move on. And uh, we are going to look at how to study narrative. Um, and this is very important because narrative, like I said, makes up about 46% of the Bible, nearly half of the Bible. And it makes sense, right? Um, we as humans uh, enjoy narrative, right? Going to movies, reading stories and so forth. Um, and narrative is, is great to help you uh, remember things, right? They say if, um, you know, uh, they say that when you give a sermon, you should always tell some type of narrative or story because people remember that the lesson from that uh, way better. And so um, narrative is, makes up nearly 46% of the Bible. And so uh, there are different sections of narrative that we can look at, right? Plot, character, setting, and design. And my wife is a language arts teacher, has been for eight years. And, uh, and so she could probably speak to narrative a lot better than I can. But um, every story, every narrative has these kind of, uh, these elements of it. And so plot is, um, whenever you're reading a narrative in the Bible, you need to see how the whole story, you need to see how it fits into the whole story and then into the greater story of the complete Bible. All right. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, Gideon is a, a great example of, of this. And so if you remember the story of Gideon, um, he was a judge in the Old Testament. And there was a time, there's a story of Gideon where he was asking whether or not um, him and his troops would defeat uh, defeat the I forget who it was um, the people they were attacking, and so he asked God, and they uh, and he said, you know, let's I'm going to put a piece of fleece out there, and um, I'm going to ask that in the morning uh just the fleece be wet and the ground be dry with dew and so uh he brings this test 
to God. And um, there is, sure enough, in the morning, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And, um, and so a lot of people read that story and they're like, okay, well, I'm trying to discern God's, uh, which way God wants me to go. And so um, let me test God in this way and see how he answers. And then, um, and then I will get, God will reveal which way he wants me to go. And a lot of people read that story and that's what they get out of that story. But they fail to look at the complete story of Gideon, right? Um, the complete story of Gideon is that uh, Gideon had a history of testing God, right? Gideon um, uh, tested God and um, was afraid to do God's commands. And so he, he, was, he was always testing God, right? And so when you look at it from um, not the, the example I told you, uh, after he gets the answer from God, he, he says, well, just to make sure, I'm going to test you again, God. And this time I want you to make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And so the next morning, God did that, and the ground was wet, and the fleece was dry. And he had, uh, earlier in the story of Gideon, he, um, he, God told him to do something, and he uh, was afraid of, of what it was God, that God told him to do. It was destroy an idol, and so he went and did it at night um, when no one could tell it was him right? Um, and then he tested God earlier. Before that, he even tested God about um, uh, an idol and, uh, or not an idol, um, a sacrifice. And so uh, Gideon had this history of testing God and not, um, not fully putting his faith and trust into God. And, and so when people read just one section of Gideon, and they say, well, uh, Gideon didn't know what to do. And so he brought this test before God and then God answered him. And they think that the moral of that story is, uh, if I don't know what to do, I should ask God and bring a test before him and God's going to answer me. Well, that no, that's, n that's not it at all, right? The, the moral of that story, if you look at it from a whole right? The whole story is that Gideon had a history of testing God and not putting his faith into God. And yet God, despite Gideon's lack of faith, still delivered. And so, um, and then if you take that, that story of Gideon and see how it fits into all the story of the judges, right? And then the, the, if you take all the judges and see how it fits into the whole story of the Old Testament and then the whole story of the complete Bible, right? Um, that's the way you need to be studying the plot and of narrative, all right? Um, character. Uh, when reading or when, you know, learning about Bible stories, right, you kind of... Um, it is easy to classify characters as either a hero or a villain. Villain, um, and so uh, let's say you know um, Moses is a hero. David is a hero, right? Um, uh, Judas is a villain, um, and so you have all these people, and it's easy to simplify them and classify them as just one or the other. Right. Um, and I kind of understand why that is done, because, you know, as you're a kid, you're learning about Bible stories. Um, it is easier to learn of people as, you know, either good or bad. But the reality of the situation is that uh, a lot of times in these narratives, um, it, it isn't that simple. Right. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Yet he uh, lusted after a woman, um, got her pregnant, and then had the husband murdered, right? Um, and so how could he be good and a guy, a man after God's own heart, yet still do all those things? And so um, 
characters in the Bible and in these narratives, uh, try not to classify them as good or bad, right? They are complex characters and they are human just like we are human, right? Um, I have great characteristics about myself, but I also have some, some pretty bad ones, right? Um, as do each of you. And so you aren't just good or bad, right? You have some good elements to you and you also have some elements that you need to work on as well. And it's the same for the, the Bible characters as well, or the characters and the stories you're reading as well. Uh, and then setting, right? Location, um, uh, direction, and time are kind of the, the three things I'm gonna talk about here during setting. Location, um, this is important, right? Uh, biblical authors, they use location um, to kind of set up where they are headed in that specific narrative, right? Uh, typically, um, if you look, Egypt is considered what in the Bible? Does anyone know? Well, if you look um, in the Old Testament, uh, the old, the very first mention of Egypt, right, is bad. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and pretty much every mention of Egypt is bad, except for when Jesus is born, right? Uh, they flee to Egypt. And, and so uh, setting is, is great. And it's, it's kind of, think of it kind of like, um, you know, if, if you're starting to watch a movie and you know nothing about the movie and the opening shot is a, a rundown house uh, in the middle of the night in like a creepy location, you're going to think, oh, well, this is some horror movie, right? Um, but if the opening shot is, you know, uh, a courtroom, you're going to think, well, this must be a courtroom type movie, um, law movie or courtroom movie or whatever. Um, and so setting gives you information about it. And biblical authors use that setting to uh, kind of show where that narrative is going. And so um, pretty much in the Old Testament, every time Egypt is mentioned, it's always bad. And God has to uh, save his people out of Egypt, right? And bring them out of Egypt. And what's genius about the biblical authors is that it's that way, right? And um, until uh, Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt, right? Because of Herod and what Herod is doing. And Herod is classified. He's doing exactly what the pharaohs were doing in all those Old Testament Egyptian stories. And so um, the authors, the biblical authors are painting Herod as, and, uh, Herod as a new pharaoh right? Um, and so they're, they're painting it as a new Egypt. And so, uh, and so location gives you information about the story and, but you do have to pay attention to, um, you know, surprises in, in that location, right? Um, direction, uh, as far as setting goes. Um, every time, especially in the Old Testament, right, when when people are headed east, it is typically a, uh, a sign that people are moving away from God. All right. If you look at uh, um, in Genesis, uh, they are banished to what side of the garden? To the east, right? They are banished to the east of the garden. Um, and so every time you see uh, God and his people or people moving east, it is a sign that they are moving away from God. All right. And then, um, and so that's direction, right? Uh, west is typically back towards God. East is away from God. And so pay attention to that when you're reading uh, narrative in, in the Bible and see which way people are headed, just the direction they're headed, because that uh, indicates whether they are moving away from God or towards God. And then finally, uh, look at time. Um, and so uh, 40 days is a big one, right? And whenever you see 40 days, it's kind of testing uh, faithfulness to God, right? Um, 
you have, uh, you know, um, you have uh, the, um, they were, the spies uh, went for 40 days and uh, were gone for 40 days. Uh, Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days. Um, and the, I believe it was 40 days. And um, let's see here, uh, the flood, 40 days. Um, and so whenever you see the 40, the, the number 40, a lot of times it's talking about testing faithfulness to God. And another thing that's genius is like, there's that twist, right? Um, typically, when you see 40 people are falling away from God, right? 40 years in the desert, 40, uh, Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and they create this, you know, this false God. Um, uh, and all these times people fail, fail with their faithfulness. And yet Jesus, he's in the desert and in the wilderness for 40 days and he succeeds, right? And so um, look at numbers and see how, how that works um, uh, in the overall story as well. And then finally, the last thing is look for design and repetitive uh, story design patterns. Um, and so uh, that kind of goes with the 40 days, right? You can see that every time it's the 40 happens, um, it's testing faithfulness and Typically, uh, they come to a conflict, it's, they're tested, and they've failed. And you see that over and over again, right, throughout the Bible until you get to Jesus. And so it's pointing, it's saying that, hey, Jesus is someone different because time and time again, you see that faithfulness was tested and humans failed, yet Jesus was tested and his faithfulness was tested, and he succeeded. And so uh, look for design, story design patterns, right? Um, and how that relates to narrative. All right. Um, any questions about any of those? Did, did on, that the, uh, on the direction thing with uh, going east away from God, I remember specifically in the New Testament, Jesus was talking about every time he sent his disciples or apostles out uh, to the Eastern countries that they almost were never successful. And it was very difficult for them to set, establish churches. So that's like, that is a direct statement. I don't know if it's just the cardinal direction, but I know the Eastern nations, um, Jesus directly spoke with that. I'll have to try and find the verse for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and these aren't hard and fast rules, but they are um, typically they, uh, these are things or part of narrative that help you understand the direction that the story is going, right? Um, all right, so uh, kind of to wrap it all together, um, we're going to kind of look at the story of David and Goliath and, and see how um, this kind of fits all these, uh, all this stuff, right, um, that we've been talking about. And so maybe you guys have heard this before, right? Uh, you've heard a sermon about um, how, you know, uh, you know, that God is going to help you defeat the Goliaths in your life, right? Has anyone ever heard a lesson or a sermon that, you know, kind of goes along those lines? And um, the problem with that is that uh, you are becoming David in that story, right? Um, you are David in that story, and you are defeating the Goliaths in your life. And, uh, but that's not what that story is about, right? You are not David. Um, uh, if anything, right, you are... Um, uh, you probably relate more to Goliath, right? You have uh, sin in your life and so forth. And so um, often when we read biblical narrative, uh, I don't, especially in the Western Christianity, um, we like to paint ourselves as the hero of the story, 
And we like to think that it's all about us and, um, and that's human nature, right? You, you want to paint yourself as the hero. Um, but that's not what the story is about, right? The, the reason why we do that is because we are failing to do that third question that I talked about. And we are failing to ask, how does this relate back to Jesus? Right? Um, the whole story of David is to show that uh, David, yes, he was a great king. Um, he was a man after God's own heart, but he still failed. Right? And, and Jesus is a better David. Right? Jesus is a better Moses. Um, and so uh, David's life just points towards Jesus and says, hey, Jesus is better than I ever was, right? Um, and, so, uh, and so when we put ourselves in the story of the hero, right, or uh, see ourselves as the hero in these biblical narratives, we fail to uh, recognize that um, that that's not the point of the story, right? The, the heroes typically uh, points towards Jesus, right? And, and you are failing to do that question three, and um, which is how does this relate back to, to Jesus, right? And I see this time and time again, people, um, especially in the Old Testament, think that, uh, well, the Old Testament doesn't really have to do they separate the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and they think, you know, the Old Testament is just these great stories, biblical stories, and really it's almost like a soap opera if you read it. Um, there's all this, it's entertaining, there's all this conflict and so forth, but they fail to see how it relates back to Jesus. And uh, if you read Hebrews, right, that's all that Hebrews is about, is saying, hey, um, you know, all those people you look up to, Moses and, and David and so forth, you know, they weren't as great as Jesus, right? They were uh, leading the way and pointing, their life was supposed to point towards this greater savior, that, which is Jesus. And so, um, are there any questions about that? No? All right. Well, um, that is all that I had uh, today. Um, hopefully that was helpful. Uh, like I said, narrative makes up a big portion of, the, of scripture, almost half of scripture. So it's important to know how to study it. And really that, that third question, um, how does it point back to Jesus, right? That's, that's, uh, and recognizing that the Bible is one continuous story, whether you're reading narrative, poetry, or prose discourse, right? It still points to Jesus. And um, when you fail to ask that question, you oftentimes misinterpret what the meaning of that passage of scripture was or is. All right. Um, anybody have prayer requests? No? All right, we are one month away from, well, technically we're less than a month away from students arriving back on campus. Um, I thought move-in day was gonna be on the 15th, but I saw that uh, because they are, I guess, not trying to have everyone move in on the same day, move-in day is now move-in week. So they have a whole week of move-in. Um, and you have to schedule an appointment on from either the 9th through the 15th. And so uh, there's move-in week now. So um, we are less than a month away from students arriving back on campus and moving into dorms and so forth. And, uh, and so let's be praying for uh, the incoming freshmen. It's a big transition going from high school to college and um, a lot of them are, are moving hours away from home. And specifically, let's be praying for uh, those that will be joining our fellowship and that they could find a, um, a, the CSE to be a welcoming place, um, kind of a home away from home. So uh, let's pray for them. And then um, 
if anyone else has any prayer requests. All right. Um, Logan, do you mind saying the prayer for us? Not at all. Tonight? All right. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and the many blessings within it. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time that we get to gather as a group of your Christians, Lord, that we can sit down and understand better how to study your word. Heavenly Father, be with all of us as we continue to try and study in our own lives, that we can better our knowledge of your word and better our knowledge of you to where we can apply it to our lives and help be the people you want us to be and help bring others to Christ also. Heavenly Father, be with all of us as we continue to go about our lives through all the craziness that is going on in the world. And we ask for your healing hand over anyone who's been hurt by the pandemic or protest or anything that's going on in the world right now. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for all the things that you bless us with and the opportunity that we have to have peace in this time of chaos and what seems like a broken and just destroyed world, Heavenly Father. But the greatest of all these is that we have your son, and it's in I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Logan. Um, if anybody wants to write a letter, let me know. Like I said, I have nearly 100 contacts of people uh, that have reached out and given me their address and has requested more information specifically about the student center. So, um, so yeah, just let me know if you want to write them. or And even if it's not right, I have their Instagram handle is that what it's called instagram handle close enough okay close enough all right um i have their instagram handle account whatever um and so if you want to send them a dm through that instead uh i'm sure that they will appreciate either or so um i know me i'm kind of old school i like i like handwritten notes but uh, and I realized that that's not, um, that's not the way that the youths operate these days. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just making myself sound really old, aren't I? <laughs> no judgment from here. Could you maybe like, um, I'm sure you got them on a list somewhere, maybe like share them uh, or a link to it. Like maybe put them in a Google Doc and link that to the uh, CSC group me and people can like, access and yes. through there. I that. That is a good idea. It might be smart to also put something beside it. Like Goodbye. example, if I go through there and I, I pick the top three and send stuff to them that those top three don't get spammed. Put like something on there like please uh write your name beside it if you sent them something. Okay. Yeah. I will do that tonight. So that's um, big brain. That's very so yeah and how did my, oh, my dog just opened that door and came in. Oh, my wife opened it. Your dog okay. um, <laughs> I was like, how did my dog do that? Um, Frog time. So, uh, yes, I will do that tonight. And um, also Orange Week events are being finalized. Uh, and so just keep it eye out for those as well. Um, unfortunately, I know that the Lake Day has kind of been something that has always happened during Orange Week, but unfortunately, because of all the COVID stuff that has been canceled this year, and so um, we are instead, I think, going to hike up to Look Rock um, and and do that instead of the the lake day so um so that's kind of the replacement event for that but um but yeah keep an eye out for those and uh and keep an eye out for the activity that's going to happen not this next week but the week after so could we um when i when i first got on campus they had done some kind of like hot dog cookout or something at the csc uh and i just like walked up and had hot dogs there were hamburgers and stuff like that could we do that on campus yeah we're having that on sunday so orange sunday is august 16th um then we'll have an open house from the 12th or from two to five that day uh for anyone that wants to just look around the csc and then we'll have a cookout from five to like seven or eight 
um, uh, on the front lawn there. And um, so we'll have a cookout that Sunday night. And then also we're going to have a cookout at our house on Friday night for everyone that wants to come. So, um, so I'll, I'll do hamburgers and steaks and so forth and it'll be a good time. Um, and then I think there's an event every day, uh, that week. Um, so, so definitely yeah. let me know if you need help. Sorry. Definitely let me know when you need help. Yes. I am going to need volunteers for orange Sunday. Um, definitely if you go to Laurel, uh, I will need volunteers to, uh, on that day to be, um, taking names and information and writing name tags and directing people and families where to go. So, um, if you're going to be in town and are attend Laurel, um, let me know. I will definitely use your help and I will also use your help on all the other events as well. So we need all hands on deck that week. So, um, but it's a fun week. Lots of, lots of activities, fun stuff to do. So, um, it's a great time of fellowship and, and really getting to know your fellow students. So. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining in. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. You guys can continue talking. Oh, I guess I should stop the recording. <laughs> and stop sharing i've got one question yes how did they gain the power to change my name <laughs> matthew and miranda have been changing my name to yummy yummy lactose my mm, love milk then it was he gave, him, he gave him host power to let other people in dang it you two <laughs> Dude, Ben, I thought that was you. It had me cracking up at one point. I thought it was you doing that. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't begging them to stop through the chat. <laughs> All right. So, um, Bennett Yummy Yummy Lactose. Yep, <laughs> that's my middle name. <laughs> Bennett Yummy Yummy Lactose Pearson. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Bennett likes to finish his yogurt off with a nice tall glass of milk. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Then I have a bowl of cereal for dessert. Mm -hmm. Hey, who changed my name? <laughs> Matthew. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> Everyone but Natalie. <laughs> Everyone is Logan Prentice. <laughs> we were about to change. Let's go, boys. <laughs> I changed Natalie's name. And then Jason <laughs> Changed it to Logan. Now Logan's the host. No, it's Jason. Let's go, boys. No, no, he's the host now. He's the other host. No, everybody's Logan Prentice. He changed it to himself, and his name is Logan Prentice because oh, I changed go. everybody's name to Logan <laughs> Prentice. <laughs> well, go, boys. <laughs> All right. So, what um, <laughs> Dude. Everyone but uh, the um, the Klingermans were at the s'mores thing. Would you guys want to do that again, or would you want to do something different? I'd be down for whatever, whether it be board game night or s'mores. I'm down for whatever. Okay. I think the problem is just going to still be distancing. I mean, that's why... We didn't go this time because last time there was a fire 